Welcome to the OSHA for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teens. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of OSHA for Teens and its accompanying workshop kit and curriculum. This super easy to facilitate, life-changing material is being used by folks just like you throughout the United States and beyond. Head to OSHIP.com and choose one of the many ways you can become involved in this worldwide movement. So glad that you can join me again this week. Hopefully you've been enjoying the episodes as they've been coming out. Lots of wonderful topics for you to choose from. Now listen, if you have been enjoying the show, please feel free to share it with other parents of teens and teen advocates. I feel like there's so much for us to learn in this world to be better at what we do, and that is raising productive teens, that uh, we don't want to be in a vacuum. We want to share this information and empower other people so that they can be better equipped to do the work that they need to do. If you were with me last week, you may have heard my announcement about Jen and I coming to your organization and speaking directly to your teens and staff. Well, we're going to be doing more of that this year. That is super exciting and the requests are coming in. So get your spring and summer calendar all worked out. We'll come on out and give a presentation that your teens and your staff will never forget. Um, If that's interesting to you, you can email me at mark at oshift.com. I also mentioned a partnership that I've started with uh, my good buddy Keith Senzer out of New York, 21st Century Youth, and we'll be uh, giving you more details about what that's all about in the coming months. But our first event will be in late August. Uh, it'll be a youth empowerment camp, and that's going to be in northeastern Pennsylvania. And I'm guessing that we'll have teens from all over the country coming to that. Uh, so stay tuned. I'll have uh, more information and a website for you in just a few weeks. I'm making that promise. I'm crossing my fingers I'll be able to follow through, and I think I will. So stay tuned for that. Uh, today I had a really great conversation with youth speaker David Flood. He had some really interesting things to say about the topic of why are teens at risk? What a wonderful conversation. I'm sure you're going to like it. So let's get to that conversation right now. My guest today is David Flood. David Flood is a youth motivational speaker who has spoken to over 150,000 students in numerous states throughout the country, fighting character development, as well as drug and alcohol awareness and prevention. He is a board member of Kids Plus Inc., a nonprofit organization that develops interactive programs for children with autism and special needs. David is also an active member of Northport East, Northport Drug and Alcohol Task Force. David Flood, how are you, sir? Very good, Mark. How are you today? Nice to uh, be speaking with you on this wonderful afternoon, pre-holiday. Absolutely. So great to talk to you finally, David. Now, David, it's, it's becoming kind of funny, but many of my guests have been out there in New York. Now, you're in New York, right? I am, Mark. I, am, I live about 40 miles east of New York City in, uh, in a town called Northport on Long Island. Okay. Well, I, I don't know what to make of it. I guess that's where they keep all the smart people. Is that possible? I'm um, not too sure, but if you, once you step <laughs> off Long Island, everybody seems to think you're wealthy. When I know when I go to the Midwest, then I am far from wealthy. Well, I'm wealthy <laughs> in, in knowledge, let's say. <laughs> we'll go with that. So great to talk to you. Now, David, uh, I mentioned that you are a motivational speaker. Who, now, who's your target audience? 
my target audience, Mark, and I, I prefer to think of myself as an inspirational speaker, but my target audience is I speak to mainly middle schoolers and high schoolers. I do some elementary school work. Uh, to do some professional development for the teachers and some PTAs for parents and, and uh, conference days. But my target audience, my main audience, is middle school, 5th uh, through 8th grade, and then high schoolers, 9 through 12. Well, many people would run uh, screaming from that group, but you embrace it then, I, I suppose. I, I do, Mark. I find middle schoolers to be very punchy. Uh, and fun to speak to, although challenging. You know, I have to stay up on the trends. Um, I try to present myself as their cool uncle. High schoolers are a very, <laughs> maybe the most discerning audience other than a first grader who gives you about 30 seconds of attention. Uh, but high schoolers have a built-in, if I can say, BS detector, uh, even more yeah. so, I think, than adults. And uh, So they are a tough audience, but, you know, if you can get them in the first five minutes, you're good to go. Well, you know, it's funny. When I was deciding to become a, a teacher, I was sort of deciding between middle school and high school. I remember doing some intern work at a middle school. They're so sweet still. They still like you, you know. They still give you affection. But I decided in the long run I wanted to be able to have sort of intellectual conversations, and it was going to take teaching in high school to be able to do that. It's interesting you say that, Mark, because I see that the two of those, let's say, between fifth or sixth and twelfth grade, of those six, seven grades, eighth and ninth graders seem to be the most, an eighth grader will look at you and a ninth grader sometimes with their arms folded, you know, impress me, Mr. Flood, tell me something, Mr. Flood, because an eighth grader is getting out of school. You know, they think they know everything. And then when they get to ninth grade, they still think they know everything uh, until a senior puts them in their place, let's say. Now, now, David, you said, uh, you made the distinction, I called you a motivational speaker, and you corrected me, you said you're an inspirational speaker. How do you see that being different? Well, motive, well, I was trained by a bunch of different people, but my main mentor from afar, I'd met him several times before he passed away, was a man named Wayne Dyer, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with him. And Wayne Dyer yes. talked about motivation, Mark, and just to you know, break it down in, in 30 seconds, motivation is something that comes from the outside, and inspiration is something that comes from the insp inside. It means to be in spirit. And so by the stories I tell, by the points I make wrapped with stories that I tell about my personal life, my children, and, and people who are very close to me, I try to inspire children um, to bring something out in them rather than have them get motivated and say, you know, rah, rah. Like a, I, consider, I associate motivation with sales, and I associate inspiration with, with dignity, respect, and compassion, which is the three things that I teach. You know, that's a, that's a great distinction, and I find that probably many of us that are in the world trying to support youth in today's topic we're talking about at-risk youth so we'll get to that is to bring something to, really to have them look inside right to have them look inside and see something that they have power over their own lives that they actually can make decisions that improve their situation of others and that sounds like what you're talking about you're right on target mark if a, one of your one of your guests who's listening to the podcast down the road, look goes to my website. The name of my program is called Look on the Inside. I have them look on the inside of themselves first and then others also, you know, how we judge people. So it's interesting that you say that. And it, it does all. Everything comes from within. Everything comes within. And yet nowadays, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, more, it seems that everything comes from without, you know, from all the things that are all the images and messages that are bombarding us daily. And now I was able to look at your website at the end. We'll give you a chance to, to talk a little bit about where people can find you. But you know, what I was able to see is that you have a, a real passion for the work that you do. 
a lot of people that are listening right now, uh, the idea of being on stage is terrifying, but you might want to do more of How fulfilling is that uh, as far as a, an occupation for you to be on stage and to inspire students? It's extremely fulfilling, Mark, and it can be draining. Um, I've done manual labor. I uh, grew up with a father who was a bricklayer and worked with him for 12 or 15 years and done all kinds of manual labor, you know, dug ditches and built things. And there is nothing more uh, physically and emotionally draining than, than sharing emotionally with students, you know, for an hour and then spending a day at school, half a day, a full day at school, which I do. So it is draining but fulfilling. That's very cool. And what you said really resonates. I can remember, especially my first year teaching, coming home and just being sort of emotionally and socially drained it is and i know a lot of my listeners right now are can really relate to that it's a very emotionally and socially taxing job by fourth period i'd already seen a hundred kids and i had three more periods to go so i would come home and just be completely now my listeners know by now that um what i do is i send out a list of topic potential topic questions and david you had a couple that you were interested in but the topic that you ended up using is why are teens at risk? Why are teens at risk? And I, I really like this question because I think some people would have an issue with that label, at risk. Uh, what was it about that topic that you went for? It seems like those two words keep coming up over and over again in the past few years, Mark, that I've been speaking. You know, we've got an alternative program in our district and many schools and places I was in, Missouri and Nebraska, uh, in the past few months, and, and they have alternative schools where 18 or 20 or even sometimes larger kids who go, and those kids are labeled at risk to kind of watch out for them. But to be brutally honest, right now in 2000, the verge of 2017, all kids are at risk. They're all at risk, so, and some more than others, you know, some more than others. And I was attracted to it because I had such a difficult time transitioning from eighth grade to high school. You know, from I didn't go to a middle school, I went to a Catholic grammar school, and that behavior and things that are around us that put us at risk um, to become uh, either addicted to drugs, to cutting, to alcohol, to uh, overbuying, uh, addicted to pornography, anything that a, that a child can latch onto um, that's going to make them, well, they, so they think, make them feel better or take away those feelings of, of, uh, of inferiority. Now, you say that they are more at risk now. Are you say, suggesting that all kids now are at risk, or have they always, has teen, have teens always been at risk? I think teens have always been at risk, but I think it's so much more pervasive now, Mark, because of, because of social media and because of the overwhelming amount of information that they take in on a daily basis. I have a son with autism. He has no filter to filter out positive, negative. Now the new thing in the news is false news that people are reading, the, the untrue right. news that, that looks true. So he's got no filter. But I don't even think adults, if we, we just watched this election cycle, granted it was kind of unique, but adults' filters have broken down. And I believe that kids are not, don't have a lot of good adult mentors to show them how to f filter things out. So if at any time in the history of society, and maybe a sociologist, Mark, could prove me wrong, but I think kids are even more at risk now because of the overabundance of information that they get and the pressure that their parents put on them to perform. 
You know, it's an interesting thing. I was actually just talking to Jennifer Powers, my wife, about this very thing. You know, it's it's like this new age of, like, like you said, misinformation. It seems like kids are going to have to become more savvy at distinguishing between what's real and what's not. Um, and are they going to be able to do that? And if if not, I mean, where are we going? Now, that's, a, that's a huge question, but it seems like th- that's their burden. Yes. And at-risk youth is a child, um, a young adult, who's less likely to transition into adulthood successfully. That's the definition of what an at-risk youth is. So in the success is defined as the ability to avoid crime, achieve academic success, and become financially independent. You know, I was reading, not a DSM manual, but just risk factors, and all of those things still remain, you know, laws and, you know, extreme economic deprivation, low commitment to school, family members who use alcohol and drugs, family conflict, peers in school, you know, so all of those things from the psychological standpoint. And then I think you couple that, Mark, with all of the information that they receive on a daily basis. And now the big conversation, the the most common conversation that I have with administrators and counselors when I go into a middle school or a high school is, you know what, when you and I were growing up, we didn't bring our problems to school. You went to school and then you went home. Now everything because of technology is brought into the school. Everything outside of the school, teachers and administrators are solving problems that parents used to solve at home. They're, they're trying to be solved in school, again, because of technology. Not saying technology is a bad thing, not saying social media is a bad thing, but those th- it's just one more thing that the kids have to filter out. Okay, and so that's an interesting point. Is that a bad trend? Is it bad that the schools are more involved in sort of our, uh, these kids' compass between right and wrong? It's not a bad thing, but it takes away from learning. It takes away from the, the day a child is supposed to go in, and boy, am I a huge proponent of social and emotional learning in schools. I don't think schools do enough of it, but when you get into a school that does, you, it just feels different. Uh, there's a middle school on Long Island that does ten minute med- eight to ten minutes of meditation with the kids. They start meditation before they say the Pledge of Allegiance, which I think is tremendous. If administrators and teachers and counselors can be a conduit to help kids, that's wonderful as long as it's not taking away from what the kids, that they're there to learn. You know, that right. really the parent's job at home um, to do yeah. that. And then, and again, I'm not a sociologist. Maybe I should have studied sociology in, in college. <laughs> you, you see what happens in families. Both parents work, especially here on Long Island, Mark. There's a tremendous amount of wealth, and both parents work to try and keep up with other parents. Dad might have two jobs, or dad has a great job, mom has a job, and the kids are not getting a heck of a lot of direction at home. Yeah, oh boy, there, there's a lot to dig into there. But I want to back up just a little bit. You brought up the sort of the impact of technology. Um, and I feel like there's kind of two sides to this, right? There's, there's the side that says there's new dangers that kids have to uh, deal with and that we have to, as adults that are trying to help them, be sort of savvy about to help them to navigate through all this new stuff successfully. And of course, I'm a huge proponent of that. I know you are too. But at the same time, wouldn't you say that sort of generationally, probably since cavemen, that as we get older, we get more conservative, technology changes, and we see, and we fear that influence on our kids. We fear the sort of societal changes. And so we look at teens and we're, we think they're going sort of to hell in a handbasket. 
you know, through the ages, kids have sort of been able to adapt. Do you think that kids are going to be able to adapt to these changes, or uh, should we really be afraid of these uh, sort of technology changes? I certainly hope so, Mark, that children can adapt. I remember hearing something once that, this is going to sound very strange, but that pterodactyls and dinosaurs used to come down uh, back in the caveman time, and they'd snatch up a child or someone from the village, and it happened, and no one would know about it because there's no news. And so when we hear about something that happens across the globe, those things have been going on, and they may appear to us as, being happen- as happening more and more often, and yet they're not. We're just more aware of it. saying now that I heard from someone, I was on another podcast a week or so ago that I had mentioned to you earlier, but the new saying now is parents with affluenza, you know, affluent parents, you know, uh, protecting their children. The new saying is not a helicopter parent, it's actually a lawnmower parent. In other words, a parent who mows the lawn in front of their children and then by, thereby making their life easy for them. And I think children oh. have to fail. You know, I think children have to fail and to learn what it feels like to fail and then get back up and brush yourself off and, you know, fired from a job, get rejected for getting a job. Um, and none of those things are going to put a kid at risk. You know, things that put a kid, children at risk are obviously all the, the, the psychological behaviors that I talked about earlier, and then a parent who, who expects too much of their child. Okay, so, so let's stay on that. Um, many of the listeners that I have work with at-risk youth, and these are kids that have failed a lot. So how, is there a balance about failure? I mean, how far do we let that failure go before we intervene? I think that the biggest thing that anyone can do, and I know teachers can't always do this, Mark, but I think that the, then what's been successful for me, the most important thing to build up a child's self, first of all, to connect with a child, is to be, allow yourself to be emotionally vulnerable to them and tell them, I went through something very similar to what you're going through now, not to compare stories, but to identify with their feelings. And if you can connect with a child on an emotional uh, level, you've gotten in with them. You've reached, you know, you've reached in with them. But to protect them, it's important that they fail. You don't want them to get hurt physically, you know, mentally, emotionally, but anything you can do to connect with them and let them know that they're going to be okay. I'm big on, on mirror work. I listen to Louise Hay, who owns Hay House Publishing, who's a tremendous writer, one of the greatest writers, I think, you know, spiritual writers uh, in the country. But Louise does think, uh, something called mirror work, where she actually looks at herself in the mirror and, you know, to tell her that she loves herself, etc. not in, a, in an overly confident way or an, or an arrogant way. But I believe in taking children into a bathroom and saying, look, look at yourself, look at who you are, you're important, you know, and building their self-esteem that way. Well, okay, so that brings up a question. Uh, you kind of coming back to the fact that you are an inspirational speaker. What are you trying to inspire these kids to do? So my target would be to inspire them to think about themselves and think about others in a different way. Great, I, this new thing I'm going to be using now, Mark, and it's so appropriate for the holidays because we open a lot of presents at the holidays, right? So when yeah. you open a present, are you more concerned with the wrapping paper or are you more concerned with what's on the inside? One. Two, when you go to the grocery store, now granted, if you were a, a two or three or four-year-old, you'd pick out the prettiest cereal box, right? When, when you go to the grocery store, 
do you pick out the cereal with the most, the nicest box with the ni- with the nicest pictures and the most beautiful, you know, lettering, whatever, or do you pick out the cereal that tastes good? You know what's on the inside, and you know the anal- you know where I'm going with this. Why do we judge and why do we look at others by what they're wearing or even how they're acting? You know, we should be judging others by truly what's on the inside. And the only way you can find that out is by talking to people. And the only way you can find out what's on the inside of yourself is not by wrapping yourself, you know, in nice clothing or watches or jewelry or haircuts or whatever. It's by looking, on the, looking at yourself and being reflective on the inside. You know that kids at that age are aren't prone on the inside. And I found it very interesting uh, when I was working, you know, in a high school, uh, ninth graders and 10th graders, I rarely have very successful conversations where I would ask them, what do you think? Not a lot of people were asking them that. They live in a world where people tell them what to do. So what they think hasn't really mattered up to the point. But when you start letting kids know that what they think matters um, that can be very empowering to kids, uh, as well as letting them know, cluing them into the fact that they actually have power over their own lives, over their own reality. Of course, that's a lot of the work that we do and we support. When you teach kids that they actually have some power over their own reality, they have a direct connection to their results. Um, that can be very empowering to kids, but you have to. There's have to be some convincing involved because nobody. Not many people are doing that for kids. So for my listeners out there and for parents, letting kids know, uh, just like David is doing, letting kids know that they actually have something to look at inside and that they can make some changes, that can be very empowering for kids. Wouldn't you agree, David? I definitely agree, Mark. And the way that I structure my program, very briefly, I'll tell you, so when I go to a school, and I would encourage you know, teachers or schools to do this as well, when I go and speak at a school, I don't do drive-bys. So a drive-by would be I'd come in, I'd speak, I'd give an assembly, and I'd say, have a nice day, you know, and collect my check and leave. The way my program is, to, is set up is I'd give an assembly or two, and then I would meet with the leadership groups. And one of the challenges that I pose on children is that no one should eat alone. That's one of my themes. No one eats lunch alone. So I go to the cafeteria and eat lunch with all the children and, and knock, you know, knock around and bounce around from different table to table. Then I go back into classrooms and look them in the eye and go around the classroom and say, hey, what were you thinking about when I was up there talking today? Did I make you think of someone in your life? And so I get feedback from them, and that shows them that they're, what they're thinking and feeling is important as well. So it's making them look at themselves. So by all means, parents, if you're telling your child what to do, maybe you should be asking them to open up, let them talk two-thirds of the time, and you talk one-third of the time. And I'm a big proponent of car talking because, number one, you've got a captive audience because they can't get out when you're going for 50 miles an hour. And number two, you don't have to look them in the eye. It's not as intense. So your child might talk to you from the back seat, or they may talk to you from the passenger seat. While they look out the window, it may be more, less intense and less intimidating to them. And this has come up on previous shows. Uh, Many of us, as parents, because we've been so instructional when kids are younger, transitioning to where you are asking them open-ended questions, you're asking them what they think, simply uh, creating a reality where they get to kind of voice uh, what's inside their hearts and heads is sort of something that a lot of us as adults have to practice. Absolutely. Modeling behavior 
Um, I'm very big, Mark, on, on uh, you know, letting, you see, let, letting your kids see you act in an appropriate way, you know, be truthful with your boss, your, you know, the way you talk to their teachers, etc., the way that you talk to others. It is hard to listen less. Uh, to listen more, excuse me, and then talk, and talk less. It really, really is. But it's definitely um, uh, something that parents need to practice. And it really does work if you watch it. It really And take this from someone who's got a special needs child. It really, really does work. Well, I'm with you there. And, of course, uh, my wife is a master-level coach, and that's, it's all about that. So I've got a big chance to learn a lot from her and more rich conversations. But the, the bottom line is you empower these kids. They flood. So... Uh, Talk to you, and I love the work that you're doing. Do you do you only speak in New York, or do you move around a little bit? No, Mark. I speak all over the country. Uh, I've been to uh, 15, uh, working on 20 states now um, over the past four or five years. So, been as far west as Nebraska, as far as south as Virginia, and a little further south, and then well up into New England. So, um, you know, this coming season I'll be in Ohio. This coming spring. Uh, in Rochester, New York, out in uh, uh, Chicago, Illinois, at some schools, and down in, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, so I'm kind of all over the map. Uh, the message is needed everywhere across the country on uh, dignity, respect, and compassion, and, of course, drug and alcohol awareness for our at-risk teens, all at-risk teens. That's great. I, I look forward to bumping into you one of these days out on the road. And now, for people that are wanting you as a speaker, where can they find out more about what you've got going on? Sure, Mark. So my website is davidjflood.com. As in Joseph, it's davidjflood.com. And I'm also with a group called Top Youth Speakers, which is out of uh, uh, San Jose, California, Santa Clara, California. Um, I work with a man named Josh Shipp and, and several other speakers, part of our speakers group. So they can look me up on davidjflood.com, and they can also go to topyouthspeakers.com, uh, which has a, a, a tremendous variety of speakers for all different topics, for youth, um, and people who, who deal with youth as well. Did you say top used, U-S-E-D, speakers? No, top youth, top youth speakers, Y-O-U-T-H, top used speakers. No, we're, we're new. Um, so so, so davidjflood.com and or topyouthspeakers.com. Excellent. Yeah, I am aware of Josh Shipp. I'm going to have to get him on the show sometime. And what he's done for uh, just sort of creating a sort of a clearinghouse for, for speakers, what a great service um, that he's doing. So topyouthspeakers.com. Of course, you can look up David Flood out in New York, but it sounds like you are traveling all over the country, doing good work, inspiring, probably motivating, but inspiring youth. What great work. So great to talk to you, David. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Be well and have a great, uh, great holidays. Bye-bye. What a wonderful conversation with youth speaker David Flood doing the good work out there in the East Coast. Uh, thanks, David, for being on the show and giving us lots to think about. Hey, listen, if you've been thinking about becoming a facilitator of the O-Shift Workshop Kit for adults or teens, you can head over to the website and uh, pull down the Become a Facilitator option and find out how very easy and inexpensive it is to become a facilitator. We write the material for you. You just uh, deliver it and look like a superstar. And we've set the prices to make it super affordable, even for nonprofits. If you have questions about it, the website's a great place to find the answers, but you can always email me at mark at oshift.com and I'll tell you everything you need to know. Well, thanks again for joining us. Next week, we have another great show planned, so be sure to join us then. Until then, have a great first week of the new year. Bye-bye.